Well, we need to uh, review uh, these three Old Testament figures found in the, the first reading and then the two in the, in the gospel. Uh, just in case, you know, some of you maybe mix them up or, or perhaps forgot. So remember, uh, Abraham is the one whom God called and forged that first covenant, right? He's the one who um, God made this promise with that if Abraham would be faithful to him, God would, in turn, be faithful to Abraham and all of his descendants. It would make of his descendants uh, a great number, right? Greater than the sand on the seashore, the stars in the sky. He would make of his, his descendants this, this great number, and he would bestow upon his descendants the, the land of Israel, right? So there's this great promise that God makes with Abraham to form a people. And when you, when you actually translate the word that's, that's used for the people uh, that, that God forms around Abraham, when you translate it all the way to English, the word is actually church. He forms a people, all right, around Abraham. Now, um, the Lord continued to make promises. The Lord continued to communicate to his people. And, and the, the next kind of great figure you have is Moses. And we all kind of know what Moses did, right? Let my people go, right? I mean, we've, hopefully you've seen the movie. So the, there's a few movies now. But at, at a certain point in their history, there's a famine, right, in the Holy Land. And, and uh, the Israelites find themselves in Egypt. They end up being enslaved. God sends Moses to free his people. He, he uh, brings them out after scaring Pharaoh sufficiently, brings them out of Egypt through the Red Sea, through the Sinai Peninsula, and finally back to the land that the Lord God had given them. Um, he delivers them from captivity. He delivers them from their enslavement. So, and then, of course, along the way, um, Moses always I mean, represents all of that, but he also represents the one through whom God gave the law. You know, specifically on Sinai, the, the Ten Commandments, right? He gives Moses the Ten Commandments, and, and Moses gives those to the people. So Moses represents the law. Abraham represents the promise, the covenant. Moses represents the law. And then you have Elijah, the great prophet Elijah. Well, and there were many prophets, of course, who, who, whom God sent to the Israelites. And Elijah is the great prophet of the Old Testament. Remember that the prophets, what did they do? Well, they spoke the word of God, but they also prophesied of the future Messiah who would bring to fruition the promise and the law, right, that, that God had given to his people, and he would bring it to its proper fruition, all right, the coming Messiah. And so when, when Jesus is raised up um, and he is seen uh, in, in sort of his glory, right, he's seen dazzling white, and he's conversing with Moses representing the law, Jesus is the one who fulfills the law. And when he's seen conversing with Elijah, Jesus is the one who is prophesied by all of the prophets, right, as the one to come to fulfill all of God's promises. Now, 
the scene of the transfiguration itself. Following this scene, Jesus makes his journey to Jerusalem and his death. That's, this, is, this is sort of the, the penultimate um, act of, if you will, demonstrating his glory before he enters into Jerusalem and the disciples are going to see the horrible events in Jerusalem. And so part of what's happening here is not just a revelation of who Jesus is, but it's also meant to confirm their faith because they're going to see him die, right? They're going to have this, this sense of abandonment or uh, this, this sense of doubt or this, this possible, uh, no doubt, depression and uh, you know, wonderment as, as to what is the Father up to, right? If he is the Messiah, why is he dying? If he is who he said he is, why is he dying? It's not going to make a whole lot of sense to them. And so the Lord is transfigured to, to give them strength and courage to endure what they're going to see. So for us, as we are still at the beginning of Lent, one of the things that we have to Well, we have to face is the reality of the significance of our sins and how abhorrent our sins actually are. This isn't something we, we really want to do, right? Because of so many reasons. Um, because we, we can get confused with well, Father's saying my sins are so bad, is he saying that I am so bad? No. No. Our sins do not define us. Our sins are not ourselves. But our sins are those things that we do. All right? And so in a sense, they belong to us, and we're responsible for them. But we have to be honest about the severity of our sins, because the Father believed that they necessitated the death of his son for us to be redeemed. And if the father believed that that's what it took for us to be redeemed, then the collective, the collective weight of all of the sins of the world were sufficiently horrendous enough, right, that it took this kind of act. And so we have to be honest about the reality of our particular sins, not just sort of the, the macro, you know, the sins of the entire world, but my sins helped crucify the Lord. My sins contributed to it. We have to get right about that. We have to get straight about that. We have to get real about that. Because if that's not true, then the Lord's death on the cross doesn't make a lot of sense. It's a complete overreaction by God. He believed that this kind of act was necessary to atone for the evil that had been done through the particular sins of mankind. So we have to be sober about that reality in ourselves. But at the same time, just like the, the disciples, 
The Lord does not want us to stay in some sort of misery about that. The Lord does not want us to stay in some sort of hopelessness or depression about that, right? And so this, just like he gives the disciples the sign of the transfiguration so that they can have courage through his passion and death, we cannot just stay in our sins and stay in the depression or stay in the sense of hopelessness or, or, or confuse shame and, and, and a sense of guilt. We should feel guilty for our sins. We should not confuse that with shame. The difference is I have done something wrong. That's guilt. And I am bad or evil. That is shame. That is not true. But we do bad things, and we have to take responsibility. But here's the good news. And this is amazing news. I mean, think about how many times we have some children here. Some of the children here get in trouble. And some of you have been children and have gotten in trouble. And we all know what it's like to get in trouble and then have to get punished by your parents, right? What's amazing about the Father is he doesn't really punish us for our sins. This is amazing. This is the good news. And the good news about the Son is that God has taken responsibility of the punishment that we deserve. He's taken it upon himself. This is amazing. This is how much he loves us. He knows how horrible our sins are. He knows that we're guilty for them. He knows we deserve eternal damnation. Yet he says, I love you so much. Not only do I not want you to have eternal damnation, I want you to have eternal blessedness. And I'm not even going to make you pay for your sins. All I want you to do, all I want you to do is to say you're sorry, is to come to me and ask for forgiveness. That's it. And then you have it. That's all he asks for. And it's free. All of it's free. Forgiveness is free. Salvation is free. I mean, all it really necessitates is a desire to receive it, a willingness to receive it. It admittedly means we have to acknowledge our sinfulness, that we're guilty, that we're in need of forgiveness. But it's a free gift. And it's already been... It's already, the atonement has already been won for us on the cross. This is the good news. So as we continue with Lent, this horrible season of Lent, as I told you last week, I don't like it, but, but we, we have to focus on how we can get better, right? That's what the season is about. How can I get better? How can I, John, get better? So I have to look at my stuff that I don't want to look at, but I have to, and this is good, and you the same. Let's look at our things. Maybe we can clear some of the cobwebs out. Maybe we can clear a few things away. Maybe there's a few things we need to say we're sorry for that we just haven't done yet. We haven't looked at it. We can be honest about them and receive the forgiveness that awaits us that is indeed free. Please stand.